Faith Revisited. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ben. I'm the senior pastor at Historic Trinity Church in downtown Savannah. I'm passionate about following Jesus, loving my family, enjoying all sports involving the ball, and a constant pursuit to find the perfect bottle of bourbon. And I'm Molly, a Methodist from the West Coast, but after moving to Savannah a few years ago, I found a home in Trinity and a friend of Ben's. My greatest joy in life is simply sitting on the front porch with my husband, my crazy dog, and a great bottle of red wine. visited, we'll talk about our own church as we're constantly trying to adapt to an ever-changing world as a downtown historic church. We'll talk about United Methodist Matters as our denomination faces an exciting and uncertain future. We'll explore church leadership in the 21st century. And we'll talk to different faith leaders about their perspectives of religion today, how we can be more authentic, stop alienating people, and how faith is more important than ever to connect us to God and each other. Hey, maybe we'll touch on a topic that speaks to exactly where you are in your faith. We won't know until we try, right? Let's do it. Hey everyone, welcome to Faith Revisited Podcast with Ben and Molly. Um, Today we are going to talk something, a really fun topic, it's one of Ben's favorites. Oh yeah, something I'm very passionate about. Uh, We are going through a process, we started uh, the last couple of months, um, a process at the church of identifying uh, our core values and and with a couple of goals in mind. So we want to identify core values um, underneath the surface of the church. What are the things that are most important? important to us? Where do we feel God's calling us? What are the values that we feel are unique to this church? And out of that, we want to create um, a vision statement, you know, our idealized future, a purpose statement. Why is that future important? And and name some of these values um, along the way. So we're really excited about it. Yeah. And how often do churches do this? It's not, this is a, it's a pretty lengthy process. It's an in-depth. So this isn't something that happens all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, honestly, there's no standard for churches. And and to be honest with you, um, no offense to the more established churches like ours, um, I don't think enough churches really consider this to be important work. A lot of the newer church plants are doing this mostly because, you know, when you start a church, you can kind of put this on the front end of it. So it kind of starts out of a vision. And established churches probably started with a similar vision once upon a time. It's just years go by, decades go by. And it's probably status quo. Oh, yeah. Um, and they think like, oh, well, we're doing enough. And I do think this is important right now in the life of our church and maybe others. But like we're, I feel like we're at this turning point. We have been. And so this is probably great for direction, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, my, one of the goals, and I've, I've told the group this in this process of kind of imagining, you know, this underneath the surface. First of all, I like to use the image of the, you know, the iceberg image. So, so if you were to step back from an iceberg, what we see, which is pretty massive above the surface of the water, underneath is is ten times larger. And so these values, the the, the mission and purpose statement and strategic plan to live into it 
all of this is at underneath the surface of the water, stuff that people, um, outsiders, the casual observer, they won't see that stuff. But it's the stuff that grounds you, it's the stuff that's so important. Well, and every decision that you make going forward is based on what direction, what's the purpose yep. and the mission of what we want. It becomes the filter. So so rather than trying to do 25 different programs, you you know, which you won't do well at all. Correct. You do five to ten, but they all kind of uh, are moving in this direction. So we're, we're setting the sails of the ship to, to blow in one direction together. Um, and I like to think, I tell the group at least, that, that we're charting, you know, what I hope to be the next 10 to 20 years in the life of the church. Yeah, it, it can have that lasting impact, 100%. Well, and it's one of the big things that organizations, uh, non-church organizations, are teaching or have the ability to teach the church of how important this stuff is. Um, churches really would do well to learn from non-church organizations who, who are just doing incredible uh, work in this. One organization that, that, for those who may be say, well, how does a non-church organization, how could they teach the church? I'll give you a real, a softball, one that's very church friendly. Chick-fil-A is one of my favorite examples of an organization that understands this underneath the surface stuff better than most anybody in the world. Chick-fil-A is a fabulous organization, but this this kind of stuff, they're doing well, it all the time. Why don't you elaborate, like, what is Chick-fil-A doing to the outside person that they're noticing this. Yeah, well, for years now, Chick-fil-A has been studying not just how to sell chicken sandwiches, but how to build a healthy organization with a purpose and a meaning behind it. So, for example, one of the things Chick-fil-A does is they spend millions of dollars a year studying themselves and studying outside organizations, studying things like what does it mean to make an effective team? Um, there's a wonderful uh, podcast, uh, Donald Miller's Story Brand Podcast, which we'll put in the show notes. <laughs> yes. He does an episode with one of the Chick-fil-A executives who's been there 20 plus years. They wrote a book uh, not long ago on how to uh, form healthy teams. They had been studying that for 15, 20 years. Wow. So, I mean, there's a ton of research into it. So, it's not just the casual, let's just go sell chicken sandwiches. There's a lot of meaning and purpose underneath all of it. And there's a huge culture with Chick-fil-A that's very, very known. Well, and that's what we're doing in the church, right? We're, we're not just a place that people kind of casually come and go, but we're building a culture. It's a culture uh, of church. It's a culture of discipleship, a culture of service and mission. Um, community. Absolutely. A, a culture of community where people can connect with God and each other. You know, that doesn't happen accidentally. No. you got to do this to stuff on purpose. be strategic about it. Absolutely. Yeah, and so, I know it seems like an unpopular <clears throat> opinion, but churches, if they're run more like businesses versus just throw spaghetti at the wall all the time. I mean, that's how growth happens. It's studied. There are businesses doing it. And, you know, if we can implement some of those practices. So why do you think churches are not uh, run more like businesses? You know, and, and I'm not, maybe you know better. In my opinion, it almost feels taboo to talk about things in church like money or foundations or, you know, setting that... You know, the underlying, what you have to have to be a successful, a business, a group, anything, you have to have that structure set. And I feel like that's almost taboo to talk about if you're outside of that one committee that makes all the decisions. Sure. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a, a probably um, plays a big part in it. And I'll go a step further because I am one. Pastors, by and large, are 
pretty ignorant when it comes to running a business. So I would challenge pastors. One of the most enriching things that I've been lucky enough to have in my life is smart business people willing to take up time with me. We don't learn how to run a business in seminary. Seminaries don't teach that yeah. stuff. They teach you to be theologians. They teach you uh, how to preach. They teach you how to how to think in theological ways, which is great. That is so vital. But there are supplemental skills that pastors have to develop if they're going to survive, especially as the landscape shifts so dramatically in the life of the church in the 21st century. So I would say to pastors who are listening, if you have a small business owner in your church, Please take up time with them. Yeah. Spend time. Go to lunch with them. Ask them how they run their business. Learn from them. If you don't have that in your church, go to your local chamber of commerce. Strike up oh, a yeah. friendship with somebody. Um, one of the best gifts that I had early in ministry was a guy in my first church who uh, is a really successful um, franchiser of pool cleaning businesses. Oh. So he started cleaning pools and and then had a second location and enjoyed it. And he business degree and um, turned out that rather than just doing a, set, a third location, he just decided to become a franchiser so that his model would then go into local communities. Well, he has over two, three hundred franchises wow. now. And he was great. And he, you know, he took up time with me. And so we'd go have lunch once a month and he would just talk about just some of the ins and outs of how to run a successful organization. Pastors don't learn that naturally. So I would challenge pastors who are listening, go out of your way to learn that because you, you're right. You have to learn to at least basic elements of how to run a church with a business mindset. Uh-huh. And do you think that's like the churches out there that are continuing to grow and be successful and like not stagnant? Do you think those pastors do have that business mindset? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's more than just a business mindset. It, I, I like to call it an organizational mindset. There you go. Difference being a business mindset, we get fixated on day-to-day administration and money. Money, money, you know, money. Yeah, yeah, things like that. An organizational mindset, that's part of it. But then it gets into things like building culture. Scaling. Scaling. It, oh, my gosh. Absolutely. <laughs> Scaling's huge. That's, yeah. that's going to be, you know, uh, phase two after the core values are identified. That's how you scale. Uh, and most people, if you say, you know, do you understand what it means to scale an organization? A pastor would look at no you like, what? No idea. Yeah, what are you talking oh, yeah. about? I mean, so you might as well be speaking Greek to them. I mean, it just, it makes no sense. But to scale is to understand how your organization can be effective on different levels. Yeah. And in different capacities. So Yeah, and that's what this core values is. Yep. I mean, we're in that process of scaling. Yeah. So let's talk, um, we have this task force that has been compiled of different church members. Were they nominated? Did they volunteer? Kind of both? All self-selected. And really the neat thing was we kind of put the word out we want to do this. And what was neat was we got a really great cross-section of about... You know, half of the members have been here. They, they were here before me. Mm-hmm. And then about half the members are new. And we've got ages ranging from mid-70s down to late 20s. And and so we've got um, parent young parents. We've got retirees. Mm-hmm. So it's been a really nice kind of cross-section of people. It's, it's pretty balanced in terms of gender. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just balanced in so many ways. So it was kind of kind of a, a God thing that that came together. I didn't have to go out and That's recruit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I, it just they kind of they kind of all came together um, in, in a great way. And, and talented. Oh, my gosh. That room is so talented. Mostly because, again, 
there's a number of people in that room who do this kind of stuff on a day-to-day basis in their professional life. Uh-huh. You know, I think about one of our church members who's uh, big over at Gulfstream uh-huh. here in Savannah. He thinks on this level all the time. Yeah. And so when you have him sitting in the room, okay, when he speaks, now you're going to listen because truth is I'm not the expert in the room. Yeah. So many of y'all are so much smarter than me already. Well, so I mean, different areas, you, but yeah, I mean, you, but you're teaching yeah, me and we're learning together. Yeah. And collectively we're that much stronger. So, yeah. um, we've had a couple meetings now. What, where was your goal to start out? What, what was the beginnings of? Well, so we started out with, uh, I used the image that one of our church members who, who writes organizational histories for mm-hmm. a living um, gave me this great image of a statue in Cambodia of the four, four faces on the statue that face in four different directions. And the idea is uh, that she uses this for organizations that one face looks towards the future and the one directly facing the opposite way looks toward the past. And then you, the other two uh, faces the, of, the, of the four, one looks toward the outward uh, life of the organization, the other toward the inward life. And so we spent the first two meetings kind of talking about the history of the church, the future of the church. We talked about the outward signs of what we want to be doing, then what are the inward qualities that we want to have. But those, those things need to counterbalance each other. Um, so often... As she told me when using this example, organizations, they only want to focus on the future and the outward stuff. Mm-hmm. But they forget you can't get to the future without knowing where you've come from. And I think there's seven or eight people on the task force about. And what's interesting through these conversations where we've been talking about outward, inward, everyone seems to have a different focus of something that means it's important to them. Right. So some people are very outward focused and want to see certain things like diversity and, you know, that kind of stuff. Whereas other people are more um, inward focused. For example, myself, I really like building an internal community and make sure the people inside are taken care of. And that's kind of where my specialty lies. And that's where my interests are. Mm -hmm. So it's just interesting that within that collective of those seven or eight people, you're pulling from the different interests that they care about, but together it creates that whole picture. That's right. All four sides. That's right. Yeah, and and you know, and again, you don't, you can't just be focused on outward stuff without understanding the inward stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was another kind of related note, but we were talking in a small group this week about um, you know this hot. And you read so many studies and books and everything about EQ now. You know what EQ? No. So everyone knows IQ, your intellectual quotient. Yeah. EQ is becoming real big in terms of judging things like leadership capacity, um, fit in an organization. EQ is your emotional quotient. And what more and more research is showing us is that effectiveness in whatever field you're in is not determined by your IQ alone. In fact, different IQ levels can perform on an equally successful level. The EQ is what determines your effectiveness in many ways. How emotionally healthy are you? Well, because you're pouring into other people. Right. And so that's the inward stuff of the organization. We want to do a lot of great things out in the community, out in the world, all that kind of stuff. 
But if your people inside aren't right. being taken care of, then what's it all for? And they have to be growing inwardly. And so we got to focus on things like community building. We have to focus on discipleship. If we focus on nothing else, discipleship has to be top of the list. Yeah. People have to grow spiritually in order to do these outward yeah. expressions. And we are a church. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. what it comes down yeah, to. Yeah, it's kind of the name yeah. of the game. So in the United Methodist Church, the mission statement, and I'm careful in my wording of what we're trying to do here. The mission of the Methodist Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. So I believe every United Methodist Church has that as their mission. Now, the question is the vision. The vision is how does that mission relate to us how yeah how is it lived locally and so the vision uh is the idealized future where what do we want to be building toward and so we've had some great things come up um you know what are some of the 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 things that keep coming up one's diversity people care a lot about uh an idealized future where you know we're already a diverse church but we want to be even more diverse yeah the word community community comes out a lot yeah stuff that's been talked about quite a bit yeah and inclusivity yes. i mean we've said this in a different episode but being an inclusive church for us is a big uh sign of what it means to be the church yeah and so those are uh, all big things so if the vision is that idealized future and i uh, attach to it a purpose statement because we have to say well if that's the future we're working toward why why is it important and that why is so big not enough churches stop and ask why well that's i mean if we're just broadening this the why that's that's your purpose in life like what is i mean businesses need a why Mm -hmm. um people need a why why they do it churches i mean that's just i don't think it's put enough out there but your why is the reason you do everything well and i'm gonna tell you uh i'm gonna make an anecdotal judgment here um Oftentimes, businesses and, and quote-unquote secular organizations are better at expressing and defining their why than churches are. Churches think the why is, is apparent and that they don't have to spend time articulating it. And what we, what we forget is we don't, we don't live in this idealized Christian world where everyone just understands the Christian faith so clearly that we should never have to talk about it. That world, frankly, never existed, but yeah. for a lot of people, we think it did. Um, churches have to spend time. If you're going to get up early on a Sunday morning when it's easier to stay in bed, yeah. and if you're going to give of your time to come to worship, and you're going to give of your time to make room in your life to, to make living as a faithful member of the church important, then I owe it as a leader to you to try to give you why that's so important. Yeah. As an organization, as a church, we owe it to you to cultivate um, that sense of why. And if churches aren't doing that, then you're being entitled because you're expecting people just to show up and work for you. Yeah. And that's not the name of the game at all. And if I'd also be willing to bet if not already, people will start leaving you yeah. because you're not inspiring them. Yeah. You're just expecting them. You're not inspiring them. It's the complacency that oh. a lot of churches have been just going along with. Yeah. So, so, kind of brings to mind where do we start, right? Like if I'm if I'm listening and and this sounds good so far, and I know that my church is complacent and we're struggling, you know, to kind of get this traction. Um, where do we where do we start? You know. Uh huh. Um, and I think if I were to an- I'm answer my own question, yeah. <laughs> um, but where where do we start? I think we start with casting a vision of need. Okay. To tell your leaders, this is important. We need to spend time on this. 
and it may take some coaching along the way for why you know why is all this important you know well, well you know you're trying to express the why of an organization let's start with the why of this project yeah why is this important because we need to understand that if we're going to be an effective organization as a church then we have to deal with deep things beyond just the business and the calendar and all the yeah. busyness that we tend to do. So in this last meeting, I'll talk just real briefly through some of the things that we did. I got this, and we'll put this in the show notes as well. A good friend of mine, Ann Bosarge, is, uh, she's a published author. I want to put a link to her book. Uh, that may be a great place for churches to start. Um, but but ann has got a book about thinking out, outside of the box ideas, how churches can start thinking outside of the box. But awesome. She's phenomenal. She's the multi-site uh, director at the chapel, which is United Methodist Church, three campuses uh, across South Georgia. Um, so Anne gave me kind of these um, questions that we should kind of lead with. And so uh, we talked about, uh, we started with our values, you know, what do we believe in above all else? What are the things that, that just kind of resonate with us? Uh, then we went into our philosophy. Why do we do the things that we do? And for every organization, it's a, it's a matter of you do things a certain way, whether you realize it or not. But it's stopping to say, what are the things that help us make decisions? For example, um, it could be uh, uh, you're a small church and you say, well, what's the reason? How do we make decisions? Well, there's a couple of important people in the church that we know no decision gets made unless they're looped in. <laughs> yeah. Now, they could be leaders with titles uh-huh. or they're just leaders because they're there and they're present. Yeah. So you would say that your church's philosophy is make sure these two or three people sign off on it. Uh huh. And no decision gets made. So that's a why do we make decisions the way we do? Well, we know that this is important because these people have to be looped in. You may not even realize it, but that's kind of how you're making decisions. (laughs) So the philosophy behind it is how do we make decisions? Um, Because if we if if it if it's unhealthy, then you have to work on that. Yeah. Um, But if it if it becomes a healthy way of doing it, then you have to teach it. So everybody who comes into the organization as leaders are taught, this is how decisions are made. This is how, that's the scaling piece. Okay. If you can teach the philosophy in mass, then across the board as you grow, everyone's kind of making decisions in the same way. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah. I mean, have we, how do we do that in our church? The decision-making process? I guess. Yeah. Well, we said things like, um, "How do we make decisions?" You know, one person brought up the the that in the nineties. You know, what would Jesus do? Oh, bracelets. right, right, right. So we said, "Well, one way that we say is important to make decisions seems obvious, but we should say it." What, what would, would Jesus, Jesus do? do? Yeah. So this gets why are we an inclusive church? Well, it's not because we're making a political statement. Yeah. I mean, we could be making a political statement, but that's not the driver. We're an inclusive church because, because that's we believe, what Jesus right, would do. We believe that's what time. Jesus would do. Uh, one thing that I shared as a leader um, is that a way of making decisions is that we want to make decisions as an organization in ways that empower people. Yeah. I don't need to be doing all of the work of the organization. And You're I'm a, the chief permission. That's exactly yeah. right. You remember my phrase. <laughs> I, yes. I, I want to be the chief permission giver. If, as a leader, I think it's really important that my first answer should always be yes until we need to say no. Yeah. Too many leaders say, you know, you have to jump through 50 hoops to get an idea through. And it could be the pastor. It could be the governing board or the church council or whatever group helps sign off on things. But an idea comes for a new ministry. Well, you know, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to set a budget. Oh, the calendar's so full. Oh, yeah. Well, we don't have room. 
rather than saying, yes, go do it, and we'll put structure behind it later. Yeah. Uh, my buddy Jay, uh, who's the pastor at the chapel that we mentioned, uh, Ann's church, um, Jay has this phrase that I, I, I'll always like to steal from him. Jay always says, I would rather ha- always have life in search of structure than structure in search of life. Yeah. What a disheartening place would it be if you have to set all these guidelines before really getting a project or an idea off the ground. Yeah. Like, there's no creativity there. At the same time, though, you have to be sensitive as you as you kind of, and we did we actually did this over the last three years, but as you shift the focus of how you do things from uh, benchmarks and hoops to jump through to permission giving, that creative creativity that you just mentioned, that permission giving spirit, it, it scares people. Yeah. whose structure gives them comfort. Yeah. And so you're going to be living in a tension because that creativity is always going to feel a little chaotic. But you have to stop and say, but remember, chaos means there's life. And when does growth happen if not when you're stretching yourself? Exactly. And so the biologically, growth is a matter of chaos. Yeah. Cells reproducing, seeds you know, uh, germinating, all the, that's chaos. Yeah. So that's how, uh, that a big piece of... And you have to be comfortable with a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you got to guide people along the way. Another uh, philosophy that, that we identified um, for making decisions is, does this help build community? Yeah. So as we make decisions as a church, does this help foster a sense of community internally, uh, with the community at large, you know, Savannah community. Um, that's a big piece that we said is a philosophy it for is, ours. Yeah. And then the fourth uh, philosophy for us that we identified is, does it help people grow in their faith? Yeah. So these are philosophies that help guide the decisions that we make. We went on from there into behavior. You know, what are the things that we do uniquely well? And I think every church would have a good time. like Talking if you, about behavior. Yeah. Instead of focusing on the negative, well, we don't have enough money. We don't have enough this. We just stop all that and celebrate. Like, what are we really good at? Yeah. What do you love about this church? Yeah. Um, that could be a life-giving exercise. Like, at your next governing board or church council meeting. Talk don't, about the positives. Yeah. Don't even what bring do up the budget. Well? Yeah. Yeah. What do we do well? What yeah. do we love about this place? And kind of get, and that gets you back in touch with the why. Yeah. Because you're focusing on that life-giving positive side. So, for us, uh, a couple of behaviors that we identified, we kind of got, we shifted off track in the yes. meeting. But... <laughs> is that we want to be innovative. In everything we do, we want to be on the cutting edge for, I mean, we're we're playing with that idea we're a downtown historic church, but we can nuance that by also ironically being the church on the cutting edge. Yeah. And we we, have life, so let's use it. Absolutely. You know, and we have great people in our congregation right now who are thinking ahead and are wanting to be that innovative church. Yeah. So. And the other behavior that we identified uh, before we got off track um, <laughs> is that we we believe we are authentic and relatable. That average everyday people, you know, quite often. I mean, whether you've been a lifelong churchgoer or maybe you've been twenty years out of the church, but whoever it is can come. And feel comfortable. Yeah, and that's something we said we do well, but we also want to make sure that that continues to be something we focus on. We never want to 
get out of touch from who right. we are. Yeah, and and the bigger you get, the more you grow, that can that can be a risk because you lose that personal feel. Yeah. So you kind of have to weigh that intention. This is where scaling is so important that we scale in a way um, that we don't lose the the personal feel that we feel that we uh, do so well. The third one I missed it on the page. Um, that behavior is a, a willingness to learn. Mm-hmm. So as we go, as we grow, we want to learn from our growth. Yeah, and that's probably something a lot of churches may struggle with mm-hmm. is their willingness to learn. Because it, it's hard. Learning means having the vulnerability to say, "I don't understand this." well enough. Yeah. I now need to grow and learn. I'll tell you one uh, friend, a, a mentor put it in my head and, and, and I don't even do this enough w- with our church yet, but you don't need to just learn from the, th- the things you do wrong. You need to learn from the things you do right. Yeah. Because one day that right thing, you say, oh, we celebrate. We did that so great. That that Vacation Bible School is awesome or the, the whatever event was just great. Well, let's study why it was great because one day it may not be great. Yeah. And we're not going to know how to fix it because we never understood it. Absolutely. So studying those things, whether it's things that you fail at or things that you do really well, but always wanting to evaluate and study. That's something, by the way, that a lot of my church plant friends and church planters out there do better than established churches is they have a culture that says we evaluate everything. I have a friend uh, with a large church plant, and they probably do five services a Sunday, and they huddle after every service as leadership group wow. for worship. To and they say, what happened. What went well? What didn't go well? How can we make the next one better? Wow. And so they do that progressively through the morning. And it's even that, that he says, look, if I had a sermon story that just didn't land well, tell me. Yeah. If it was a corny joke that just didn't go well, tell me. You know, I can, I can adjust on the fly a little bit. But it's a way of constantly striving for excellence, always striving to be a better version of yourself. Or as Methodists, we would say, as Wesley would teach us, moving on toward perfection. We're growing towards the very best version of ourselves. Well, you can't do that if you're not willing to learn. Absolutely. So we talked values, philosophy, behavior. Um, what's next for core values? How do we shape those, the vision, the purpose? Yeah, so next I'm going to start uh, uh, throwing some phrases out uh, that, that have been coming up over and over. Um, and then we're going to get into some wordsmithing to, to say. It's always fun. Oh, yeah. Man, that's uh, you can get a lot of email and back and forth yes. over wordsmithing. Yeah. But over what is that vision, that, that idealized future that we want to live into? What is that purpose statement? Um, the meaning, why, why that future is so important? And then really, what's our plan, uh, the strategy that we want to kind of live into it? The vision and purpose need to be short, memorable, clear statements. Because yeah. the idea then is that a lot of churches will do this work and then put it in a file somewhere. Mm-hmm. This needs to be, I mean, everywhere you look, it needs to be there. In front of people. They need to be able to know it and say it off the fly. Because that's them living into it. Yep. And then the plan is going to be even shorter because the plan needs to be more open-ended, but it needs to be kind of a larger overarching, how do we live into this? You know, a plan, how do we live in to to grow spiritually? How do we um, welcome new people? How do we... Uh, serve the community so that it's it's a little bit broader so it'll be a, um, not quite as tight as the vision and purpose but still 
kind of be the plan to get towards yeah. those things. So we'll the next couple of meetings um, we'll do that. We'll take a short break till mid June, and then over the course of June and July and into August, we're going to kind of come around these these statements and then present them to our leadership. And then my hope is that by the fall, I mean we're going to say this is the culture. This is what we've done, and then these are the next steps um, moving forward. That's awesome, and. Um recommendations for people if they want to start this at their church or get this conversation going we said earlier just bring it up you know start talking about it to your the leaders and you know do you have something like this in place if you have to ask the question it's probably not done in a way that everyone else knows about it yeah so. and i would recommend if you're a church leader out there and, and it doesn't matter what size church but say you're an established church that's been around for a while go find whatever the church plant is and I know for a lot of established church pastors that we're anti-church plant because, you know, inevitably you may have lost some people that went to that church because they were the cutting edge new thing. But find a friend and ask them in that church, like, how did y'all get this thing going? And translate it back into your setting. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that established church pastors can um, learn from church planters. You know, my church, uh, we have pipe organs, hymns, very traditional. I mean, very high. Yeah. We're getting more high church. That said, you know, I mentioned my buddy Jay. His church couldn't be more the opposite from us. Praise band, you know, jeans, flip-flops, very... But there's so much in his organization that I want to learn, but we just kind of run it through our own contextual filter. filter. That's right. So that's part of that learning process. A community will not become a learning community if the leader is not someone willing to learn. You set the tone as the leader. So I would say for leaders out there, you start the learning process and people will catch on. That's awesome. Great. Um, Well, this was a really fun episode. I'm excited. I am a part, I am a member of the Core Values Task Force. Um, And as we keep talking through these things, it's been really great to see um, different, a very good subset of members and their opinions of what the church should be and means to them. So this is great conversation and I can't wait till we have actually something on paper. It'll be great. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Faith Revisited. Um, Review us on iTunes and leave a comment how you liked it um, and what kind of things do you see for your church? Sounds good. We'll see you next time.